Lagos Talks 91.3 and Corporate Shepherds presents the man of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome, my dear friends and very distinguished listeners. It's Navigate with ID, your business school on radio. I bid you welcome, friends, in the midst of all that we are going through. And I want to thank you for your tenacity and for your level of trust. And more importantly, the feedback. The feedback I get from you, you wouldn't understand, gives me some good feeling to continue on a thread. I mean, last edition, we talked about hunting and farming. If I say to you that this was just a weave of a conversation and a teaching that came not as a result of a planned venture, but just in the way that I saw the direction of the conversation. And I said, wow, this is a better way to go. And I thought about it. It was a split second decision. And I decided to teach around the farmer and the hunter. I got so much feedback from you. For those of you who found the farmer analogy and the hunter analogy very pleasant as we relate that to business. And so today I am going to take on a continuation of that with just a little uh, wrap on how we started and where we are so that those who have just joined us either accidentally or you may have heard about this program and you decided to join us. We will not leave you hanging. What are we all about? Deliberately this quarter on this business school, we have dedicated it to the business of enterprise. And it's really coming at a time when we want to put forward the very essence of why each and every one of us should have an entrepreneurial spirit and mindset. Now. I'm not saying that everybody should be an entrepreneur. Don't misunderstand me. That is not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the spirit of enterprise. When you see business as an enterprise, you'll understand that there are certain codes, there are certain behaviors, there are certain idiosyncrasies that make it happen. One of such we have established over time as the biggest leverage for business is marketing. That marketing is business and business is marketing. It is end-to-end in whatever you want to do. And so we've been taking that marketing journey in a very exciting and very interesting format that has morphed itself from the process that we started talking about the before, the during, and the after. So in the before stage, we talked about prospects when you consider prospects as those who do not know you, who do not know you exist, who do not have a whim of what you do or what your business or service is all about. But then you need to do something to provoke them to know you. Then we moved into the next stage. After you finished harnessing prospects, those prospects become leads. And when you get to the space of these leads, then you are in this process of trying to capture these leads in a system for a future follow-up that will require some investment and ultimately give you business success, but via the route of marketing. And that is what led us to look at the subject of the hunter and the farmer. And so in the previous edition, what I did was to ask you to imagine yourself as a hunter, that you wake up in the morning, you gather your weapons and head out to hunt. Some days you come back with a kill and your family eats a fantastic feast. There are other days you come back empty-handed and your family goes hungry. The pressure is on every single day to hunt, not just to hunt, to hunt successfully. That is a constant battle. So fast forward. Take that to your daily routine and take that to what you do. So if you have started a business and you are running a business, either you have produced a certain product or you manufacture something or you provide a service, that is almost 
without gainsaying that somebody has to come patronize you. So when you step out of your house in the morning and you go to the hallowed chamber called your office or the marketplace, what exactly do you have at the back of your mind? You're expecting people to come and patronize you. You're not different from the hunter. And if people don't come on that day, what happens? You go home feeling very bad. Why? You didn't capture any leads. Nobody came to your store. So just think about the man or woman that is selling either at Okiari, open wholesale or retail. Imagine that they get to their stores as early as 7 a.m. in the morning. And when they get there, they close when the market shuts down at about 6 p.m. So imagine being in Okiari from 7 to 6 and not one person comes there to buy a product. People come asking, they're prospecting to say, Madam, do you have XYZ? Mama, do you have ABC? Or Oga, do you have XYZ? And imagine for a second that you do. They are either of two things. You give them a prize and they say to you, we need to haggle. They negotiate. And the price they are willing to pay is far below whatever you could have even considered as break-even. Will you sell? The answer is no. And they walk away. You spend the 10 hours in the market and then you go back home without a kill. How would you feel? That is how a hunter feels. So fast forward to the grocery owner within your estate who opens a shop. Think about a shoemaker. Think about a barber who has a salon. Think about that man or that woman who not only owns a store, but is also doing something that he needs people to call his attention. You are a plumber. And then you are in the neighborhood. You put your number on the wall. You need plumbing services. Call this number. Do you see that happen? Sometimes if you drive across certain areas, you'll just see, need a plumber? Call 080, blah, blah, blah. Or sometimes you see another inscription, you need a painter, and the number is there. Those guys are advertising. They are basically telling you that we are available. They are prospecting. They put it out there. Now, imagine the plumber or this other guy who has put out his number there and the electrician, he sits down in his home. That's where he's waiting for that call. Nobody calls. Nobody says anything. First day, nobody calls. Second day, nobody calls. Yet, he had put his number at a very strategic place. According to him, the number of eyeballs that pass there every day, it's at the bus stop or it's at the place near the eatery. There's this eatery where a lot of people come to and they must need a plumber, certainly. So they must need an electrician. Abba, they are providing those services. I'm going really down to let you see that the difference between the guy that goes out and is called a hunter and yourself that is actually trying to capture leads is the same. The context, just different. The principles are the same. But let's take a step back in this age and time when the economy is biting. Like they will say in Yoruba language, hmm. are you going to sit down and continue with your nine to five? And then you take a take home that does not take you home. Your take home pay is not taking you home. I doubt if 90% of those working today can say that their take-home pay is taking them home. Just maybe an infinitesimal 5% may possibly say their take-home pay is taking them home. You know who those guys are? They are the owners of the business because you don't see what they get. They decide what they pay themselves. Or the top kahunas in the corporations, the big boys and the big girls, they are paid heavily. But the question is, whether they are able to convert that into a different aspect. That's a story for another day. So if you are part of this 
85, 90%, whose take home pay does not take them home. What are you going to do to fill the gap so your family does not get hungry? Because you've gone out to hunt. Your job, your assignment, the role you are in is just as you going out to hunt. You've gone out to hunt. Your skill is your weapon, just like the farmer carries his Dane gun and he puts in the pellets. He may not afford more than five pellets a day because pellets or bullets are expensive for hunting. So he has to take it measure for measure. So you have gone ahead to take some courses. So whether it's online, whether it's physical, or whether attending some of these free seminars, you are taking those courses with a view to enhance your skill. They are the weapons that you are keeping in your what? Armory. And they are in your armory because you want to, at the appropriate time, be able to utilize them. So you get somebody, invite you for an interview. There is a role you think you can take. Now you go for that interview fully prepared to unleash all that you have carried and you know. Maybe you get the job. Maybe you don't. And they give you feedback to say, if you actually had Excel skills, yeah, Microsoft Excel skills, we found that, yeah, it was very key to the job, but you didn't have it. So that's why you didn't get it. The next boss that has Microsoft Excel training, you jump on it. You are not different from the farmer, I beg your pardon, from the hunter who gathers his weapons and heads out to hunt. What this program is doing is stirring your heart and mind and putting you in a place of understanding that the business of enterprise requires great leverage and that leverage is marketing. That there's a process to it. There's a beginning. There's a before. There's a during and there's an after. But then I want to then fraud you I want to push the envelope like I did in the last episode. Now, when you sit down and you stay as a hunter, there is nothing wrong with hunting, by the way. You go out every day to this daily assignment, which you call your job. At the end of the month, you are given some salary or allowance, depending on the case. And then you sit down, yet you can't cover your bills the rising inflation and inflationary pressure is costing you your sanity. There are so many people that are walking the streets now that are depressed and lost their minds. Nigeria needs healing. Nigeria as a country needs therapy. The country needs therapy. Nigerians need a lot of therapy. And so my pledge and my plea, I beg your pardon to every one of you, is go slow on your neighbor. Go slow on your friend. Go slow on your partner. Just go slow because people are going through a lot. And this brings me to that part of providing a segue that says the gap between your take-home pay and the needs and the bills that are mounting every day is enterprise. You can feel that with enterprise. So the question I'll ask you, like God asks Moses, what is in your hand? Many of us have so many things, arrows in our quiver, but we don't know how to shoot. We don't know that we have arrows in our quiver simply because many of us think that we don't have it or we don't even know. Or we are looking up to some other person to use another type of weapon to hit the target. But I'll ask you again, what do you have and what is in your hand? So if there's a gap, in what you have and what you need to do, how do you want to fill that gap so your family does not go home or you don't go back to your family without a kill and your family goes hungry? You can't continue to go back empty-handed. Almighty God gave you a brain. That brain is not just to run matter. It's to think. So look around you. And that is bringing me to the space of another character, and that is the mindset and character of this very distinguished individual that many of us possibly take for granted 
or do not know, but I want to present this character and this form or noun in the form of a fable to you called the farmer. Who is a farmer? A farmer is a person who cultivates land or crops or raises animals, such as livestock or fish. The last and the previous episode, I did tell you that once upon a time that we had a parcel of land behind the house we rented way back, way back in time. We were tenants, but there was this huge plot at the back and we decided to convert it to animals boundary we had. We raised goats, we raised, and we had a pond, a fish pond. And we had probably up to 6,000, yeah, juveniles or whatever they call them those days, catfish. So, in fact, as a matter of fact, that is one of the reasons I don't like catfish, because they became pets. I couldn't, you know, eat those things again for some reason. It was too close for call. Then we had a little pen for, for snails. And we started, you know, putting all of that. Why? Because that space was just there. It wasn't my land. I was living in the front part of the bungalow we stayed. My residence was a rented apartment. So I conditioned myself and my family, of course. My wife was very instrumental to managing that fish pond. A lot of my friends used to come pick up fish. And with time, we now said, wow, this is something that we can also exchange. So for a kilo, used to go at a certain price. And we use it to get the feed. And then my security guys were the ones that were cleaning the pond. And when that, it became a business. It became an enterprise. The goats were reproducing. And we kept moving. So I didn't have to go Christmas or anything. I'll just go to the back and look at the freshest. Or sometimes we have an august visitor. We'll just go behind and then something happens. I'll call Austin and say, oh boy deal with it. But I'm saying all of that to you to bring about something else. How many of you have something around you that you allow and is lying fallow and yet you're complaining? What is that which is around you? What land is around you? What is around your environment? So I had this parcel of land I could easily have left it to say, no, I'm a tenant to, ah, I can't land I had nothing to do with it because my landlord was not going there. He knew he had the land. The day he wanted to come and build on it, today a school is sitting right across the, the entire space. That's what's happening today. That same property is a school. Now, I converted it into something. What is around you? I'm trying to push the envelope so that you don't sit back and you keep wailing. It could be anything. I'm just using this as a typical analogy just to prod you, look around you. Because I want you to develop the mentality of a farmer. If anyone has a farming mindset, just give them a very small portion. They will drop pepper. They will start cultivating pepper. And then they want to say, ah, you know, have you seen that your neighbor just sees a small patch of land? Next thing, he or she does is drop seeds of tomato or pepper and, and begins to nurture it. And in no time, some few fruits will come through. And you will see the excitement on the face of this person who just had this small parchment of land and dropped seeds. So what is around you that you can convert and use as a major point of skill to enhance because you've activated the spirit of enterprise. You now become a farmer. So who is a farmer? A farmer manages farms, ranches, greenhouses, nurseries. You don't have to have, have this big, can be a nursery, can be a very big slab that you take and fill and then create an orchard before you know it. It may be nothing, but trust me, you begin to start from there and then in no time, you will now need someone that will need to take this product out or you need people to take them off you. Off-takers won't be an issue. But do you know something? The fundamental thing I want to draw out of this is that 
farmers are involved in planting? What is that seed that you have? What is that idea that you have? You go to work every day around your environment. You're not looking because you think the, the woes of the world are unto you. No, you're not alone. We all are going through it. Like I said, Igoro Reni, things are tough outside. What are you doing about what you have? What's in your hand? What's around you? You go to the office every day. You're only murmuring, murmuring, murmuring. It's not a good language. Murmuring is a language of slaves. And you are only slave to the mentality that you carry. It's either you want to be a slave to poverty or you want to free yourself because freedom is at a price and that price is for you to break some of your mental models or the mindset and begin to tell yourself that I see opportunities. What stops you from taking a certain direction? That process of you taking that direction, you're planting. But after planting comes cultivating. Inside cultivating is nurturing. And then in the process, you begin to have post-harvest duties. You need to oversee. You become an overseer. Either of an overseer of livestock like myself, or an overseer of a fish farm, or an overseer of a business or a service. And then when you become an overseer, you can then, by extension, hire supervisors, or you supervise the supervisor depending on the type of farm. Do you know that businesses don't just happen? I know for a fact. And there's a huge challenge. A huge challenge is the environment. But in that environment lies the opportunity. So how am I going to switch you now to become someone who will have the mentality of a farmer? Because I want most of you listening to me now to walk away from seeing yourself as prisoners of inflation. No, you can't remain a prisoner of con conscience. No. My Jack came ahead of time to tell you you cannot, and he's gone. Even if nothing else, go listen to that track. You can also listen to Bob Marley. These are men that have used the instrumentation of music to speak into our lives, but we just enjoy it for the dance and the favor, but we don't take out the message. So if this is a business school on radio, this is a practical business school. Like I said to you, I didn't understand how I stumbled on this analogy in the course of yesterday or the last episode, but I needed to build on it because we're speaking to the heart of business. We're speaking to the heart of enterprise. And the enterprise is about marketing. Marketing starts when you create, when there's an idea, when you find a need, and that need, you think about how you're going to bring a solution to that need. And in the process, you need to load through a, a whole pipeline to deliver and fulfill that particular need at a profit. That profit could be your time. That profit will be your return on investment. That profit could also be a return on relationship. Very many times people don't understand that you may be serving someone. You know, I was talking to a group of young people the course of this week, and I said to them that we are so entrepreneurial within the context of Nigerians and especially my brothers from the East, that if the white man could come and take the business of enterprise that the Igbo man has put in, that whole technology around volunteering and then enabling servanthood, service, they want to serve. I'm serving my master for three years. I'll come and work there. They live in that shop. They sell in that shop. Somebody conceived an idea. The guy decided to invest in this and he put somebody in there as his sales boy or sales girl. They live in there. You would then see how this transforms and changes lives. They don't lack because the system is running autopilot. I have my Baba. His name is withheld for reasons of his privacy. 
I have known this guy. He's been my barber for over 15 years. When I met him over 15 years ago, at that time, it was my son that took me to his shop. Okay? My boy then took me to his store, his shop. I said, Dad, let's go there. I want to cut my hair. I said, okay, let's go together. And I met this guy. It was a very little space. But I liked the way in which he handled his affairs. Respect to his customers and everything. At that point, I said to him, do you do home service? He said, yes. I said, okay, um, see me from Saturday and then we'll start. It's over 15 years. I have not gone to any other or had any other person cut my hair apart from this guy. He comes week in, week out, up till now. But friends, do you know in the last couple of years, he ventured into selling parts, spare parts, not for cars, but trucks. Some years back, while cutting my hair, we had conversations. Today, he's married. They have a one-year-old baby with his wife. He has a car. When he's coming to cut my hair at home, he comes in his car. He parks in my, in my garage. Guess what? He moved from just being a prospect. He began to nurture his customer. And today, there's a return on investment because of the return on the relationship. What do you have in your hands? We'll be back, friends, when we take it on the second half. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome back, dear friends and distinguished listeners. It's Navigate with ID. Just in case you're joining us, I bid you welcome to this beautiful program hosted on this great station. Friends, we've been looking at um, the business of enterprise, but with a very, I'd say, personal lens and um, speaking to the heart of hunting versus farming. And in the course of the first half, we talked about the vagaries of hunting and how we do go out every day, day in, day out, just like the hunter does, hoping to get a kill, to bring home a feast of some animal for the family. And some days things don't go the way we plan. And possibly when it continues, the family could go hungry. And that pressure on every single day to hunt successfully becomes a lifelong and constant battle. That is not different from what many people are facing now. But we had to take the switch to ask ourselves, what exactly should we be doing at this time? And that's where I brought about that character called the farmer and said, we now need to imagine ourselves as farmers. We need to plant seeds and wait for them to be ready for the harvest. And what do you do in the meantime? The first thing you need to do is look around you and say to yourself, what is around me? What's in my hand? What do I have in terms of ideas? What do I bring to the table? What can I do by reason of collaboration? So when you're going to start as a farmer, you need to get that seed, which is your idea, which is whatever you have, but you need to plant it. Planting requires a process. Planting requires communication. Planting means that your seed and the ground on which you're going to put it must be in talk terms. They must have talking terms. Otherwise, if you drop your seed on a ground that is not appropriate, nothing would happen. You will not be able to cultivate. So this could be relationships. This could be collaboration. This could just be partners. So you have an idea of something to happen, but you know you have the skill. You are a technical engineer. You are a software engineer, the best and the best you can imagine in the world, but you don't even know how to string a number. So that means that you need the soil, and that soil is a partner. You need a partner who has numeric or numeracy skills or who is an accountant, a finance person. That's where partnering starts, and this is where we begin to nurture. Nurture them and treat them with care, just like the farmer will treat the seed just like the farmer will nurture the ground, nurture the entire process, the plant is coming out, he needs to remove the weeds, just take away the weeds, treat them with care, needs to water and tend to the crops, and when they are ready, you start. they start harvesting. Same manner, you have to do that when it comes to the enterprise of business, because when you have this little idea, 
that has morphed into a service or a product that you are selling, you will be prospecting. Those your prospects don't know you. They don't know you exist. And then when you do certain things within the ambits of marketing, they are able to convert to become leads. And when you capture these leads, the time has come for you then to nurture them. Nurturing leads is a process of taking people from being vaguely interested in what you have to offer to desiring it and wanting to do business with you. Very many people are not nurturers. You know, I'm sorry to say this. One of the things that begets micro, small, medium entrepreneurs is the fact that they are so much in a hurry. The micro, small, and medium guys are so much in a hurry. You set up a business today. You want it to move by fire, by force, and begin to not get profits. You need to nurture the process. The lines need to be nurtured. What are those things that you need to do? It's the leads. Those guys that didn't know you before that were prospects have become leads. So you need to nurture them. And it takes a process. In taking them through that process, you need to move them from one level to the other so that they can then ultimately become your business partners or they could be your customers or they could actually be the ones that would sell you to another world and help you propagate and protect your business. This lead nurturing process ensures that leads are interested. It ensures they are motivated. It ensures that they are predisposed to buying from you before you ever try to sell to them. And that's exactly what is very critical. Nurturing is big and it's huge. Just think about it because you have an idea, but you don't understand that what it takes for you to walk through this process is just to think like a farmer. Do you know if you have the mentality of a farmer, you will actually go through marketing a lot easier. Let me ask you this question. What would you guess is the average number of times a salesperson will follow up a lead? If you guessed once or twice, you'd probably be right. I know the last ed ed edition, I did talk about the insurance people. I said, have you ever been followed up by an insurance agent? Oh my God, those guys have tenacity. They will keep coming. You will reject them and tell them, give them all kinds of objections. It's as if they are trained to overcome objections. Research says that 50% of all salespeople give up after one contact. 65% give up after two. And 80% give up after three shots. So imagine if a farmer planted seeds and then refused to water them more than once or twice. Would he have a successful harvest? The answer is hardly or no. And so, friends, I want to let you understand that in marketing, the money is in the follow-up. That's where the money lies. You must build an irresistible lead nurturing model. And this is very key. I'm hoping that um, I'll probably be able to take this up with some of the clients I have who are um, taking their sales and key accounts people. Because a lot of salespeople, they give up so easily. Once they go the first time and they, there's some objection, they walk away. So when you look at a lead, you have this lead. It could even be that um, you probably are prospecting for a job. You go first time. It's the gate man that tells you, you can't pass here. You walk away. And that's it. That place, I cannot go past the gate man. So if you cannot go past the gate man, who is the first gatekeeper you meet outside? How do you want to go past the, the secretary or even the internal security? How? What convincing words do you have to allow the receptionist use our discretion to say, I think I will call this one. So, so you go to this company your first time. You get there and the gate man says, yes, that's the way they go. Yes. Who do you want to see? And you say, well, I've come here because 
I'm looking for a job. You say, oh, God, I beg, I beg. The man standing there already sees you as a competitor. He says, I beg, I beg, I work no day here. But have you thought about your message and messaging? If you had constructed it in a different way, would this guy, the gatekeeper or gate man, would he have opened his heart to say, with empathy to say, come in, go to the reception. If that is all he does for you, he has given you access one. You have an access. Then the next thing is, what do I do with that door when I open it and I get into the reception? The receptionist is another gatekeeper. How do I go past the receptionist to speak to a manager, one of the managers? What do I do? What is my message? What is my rallying point? What do I use as my kernel? Very many people don't think about this. They get away and they get upset, but most of it is attitudinal. They never prepare. But when you have the mentality of a farmer and you want to market like a farmer and you are looking for a job or you are a salesperson, you must wear a certain heart. The first ingredient of that heart, to sow that heart, you need patience. Another ingredient that that heart needs is thinking. You need to simulate each of the situations. You need to look at different characters called gate men. There will be the one that will be very hostile. There will be the one that will be warm. There will be the one that will be excellently disposed. So what do you do when you find the one that is excellently disposed? Or how can you get this particular one? How can you get the one that is hostile to become warm? It's just like moving from one part to the other. There's something you need to do. It could also be in the way you approach them. You know something that I found out? Let me say this with every sense of humility. And I'm saying this especially to all of us and particularly to the young ones, the youths. This culture of not being able to greet people, if you are one of such young people and you don't know how to greet, it will be your Achilles heel. It will take you out before you even open your lips. Many of you don't greet because you think you are higher than the highest or bigger than the biggest, because you are technology savvy. Technology savvy no mean jack. You no go past that gate. Let me give you an example. Different times I've been to the banking, or what do you call it now? Maybe GTO. You're going to the POS uh, to use the ATM machine. The ATM, sorry. Mm-hmm. Because ATM is automatic teller machine. So it's wrong to say ATM machine. So the ATM, right? Now, there are always security men, depending on the bank and then where the ATM is positioned. You will always have at least one security man there. Have you noticed? Just check. If you just stand as a bystander, next time you go to an ATM, count the number of people that will say hello to the security man. They will be far and in between. If nothing, you may not find one. But for me, I make it a point of duty because those guys are gatekeepers. They know what's going on there. They are the operators in the real sense. They know which one is working. So on two occasions, I had one experience. I went to one of the banks, GT, and they had this, they had about six ATMs in that the room there. And so the minute I got there, there were two guys. And I greeted them. I said, Ah, chairman, I want a day. Good morning. Please, which of the machines they work? Now, do you know that where they sat, the machine straight to their, within their line of sight, which was my 12 o'clock, was the one functioning. But there was this long queue to the other five. And guess what? They said, oh, God, go straight. I went straight to that ATM. I put in my card. And the others were now turning and looking at me. And they heard, wee, 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 wee. I got my cash. I got the cash, came out. And I said, thank you to them. Now, one of the young men at the back said, ah, why would I not tell us, say, this one, they work? They didn't answer him. Lesson number one. 
I made a note of that. It happened a second time. And it has happened a third time at different spots. Because people just treat people like anything. So that attitude is what you take to go prospect. Who are you going to sell to? Because you're already looking down at this person and say, after all, he's a gate man. After all, she's a receptionist. Is um, My uncle sent me to speak to so-so and so. Beyond that gatekeeper, you'll be bounced. So 50% of salespeople, I'm talking about statistics that are utilized and quoted in sales and marketing circles. Now, sometimes I've tried to track down the original source of these figures, but every time I look at it and it just becomes something based on the findings of major national research firms, you'll just see that it is always written that 50% of salespeople, they give up after the first contact. 65% give up after two contacts. 80% give up after three shots at that. Now, let me tell you something. About 90% of salespeople have already given up. And when you give up, you have the low-hanging fruit sitting there. If you give up at that point, it means that that person does not see you as a low-hanging fruit. But if you move in at contact number four, that person will now take you as a factor. So the place to actually sit is contact number five. So whatever happens first time, second time, third time, guys, if you truly see a lady you admire and you think, I want to go after this lady, guys know what I'm talking about. Not those ones that are just hit and run, that truly are looking for a life partner. You've seen all the attributes and everything of a life partner. You made the first contact. You collect the nail, like we used to say in those days, issue. Don't run away. Don't give up. You go again. You collect the second issue. It means that you need to make two more contacts. After four contacts, friend, you become a factor. And when you become a factor, it means that you've entered the mind of the lead. So the lead's mind is now activated to say, okay, I need to give this person some audience. That is the philosophy that comes within marketing like a farmer. Because no farmer goes first time, drops the seed, gets in there. Not all the seeds will sprout as plants. If he then says, mm, I planted the seed, let me go and rest, and refuses to water them more than once or twice, or follow the routine that that ground requires or the soil, he will not have a successful harvest. So when we are looking at how we want to go through the business of enterprise, whatever idea you have, whatever business idea has come, you need to come through that process like a farmer and then you start by the time you're making contact number six, you're nurturing slowly. Then your lead gets to know you. Once your lead gets to know you, you now make contact number seven. You then begin to earn some form of awareness. They say, oh, okay, I know this guy. I know this product. I know this service. And then by contact number eight, you are probably the only person to have made eight contacts with that person. This is what the insurance guys do very well. They keep coming at you. Then you, at some point you say, ah, okay, let me, and at contact number nine, your lead will tell you, I'm ready to buy. If nothing else, the pesta power, that's what it's called. PP, pesta power. Pesta power kicks in at contact number nine and at contact number 10, you make the sale. Over time, you can move from contact 10 to contact 12 to contact 24 to contact 36. And that is when you now build what we call the lifetime value of a customer. Over time, you then build a strong relationship with the prospect by delivering value in advance, by building trust and demonstrating authority. That is why great brands stay. You wonder why brands become over a 100 years, why, that, why brands stay 70, 80, 90 years? This is a philosophy. 
is the mindset of a farmer. Those that are behind, those that own the business, will invest in those touch points because those touch points are critical. It's great to have a great product. It's so great to have a fantastic idea. But how do you take it? How you, do you make it a seed to plant it? And then with the process of cultivation, it begins to bear fruit and then you can harvest it. Friends, this is the way you can build your empire. It's a way you can bridge the gap between where you are and what can help you begin the process of being a solid enterprise. Because immediately after you have captured a lead, they will become part of your system. They will go straight into your system where you would have repeated contacts and you make this over time. I'm looking forward to training a lot of um, sales executives. I'm actually, you know, through um, the ambits of corporate shepherds, I have a few clients who get me to train their salesmen and to make them understand this is the philosophy. This is how I bring it to bear for them. So if you want the same, just contact contact us. I will make it happen. But I'm taking this demonstration to let you know that when you sit down and you're idle and you murmur, you can call anybody, any name. You can disturb the government, your family members. You can do all kinds and sit down if you don't make a move. And that's why I love Shalama. It talks about make that move. You need to make that move. That's why I love chess. You need to make that move. If you don't make the move, you don't get the groove. Contact does not mean obnoxiously trying to pester leads into buying. That's another thing you must understand. People that do this multi-level marketing, they pester you to the point where you get angry. No. What you do is to build a relationship. You give your leads and entrust them with value in advance so that they can continue buying from you. You will be able to build trust. And in the process, you demonstrate authority in your field of expertise. So if you are a software engineer, you know that you're churning out the right things because you can identify gaps that are coming from the last operation or the feedback that people are saying something is happening. There's a glitch, one glitch, two glitches, three, four, ten. Why? And then you go find the solutions. You are improving it. You know what you're doing? You're demonstrating authority in your field of expertise. And by extension, you're building trust. And before you know it, your customers will not leave you. So in doing all of this, friends, this is a very practical business school. And I hope that this edition will come as a blessing to you. And you can really say to yourself, it's time for me to wake up. I want to wake up from my slumber. I don't want to blame anybody but myself for not activating the spirit of enterprise in me. But that said, I must also note that we must accept the fact most people will not be ready to buy right away. You must. So what do you do? Put them into a database. And this, your database could be capturing, you know, I talked about email marketing very much in the penultimate program. You can also go with physical direct mails. You can mail them something regularly to stay in touch, keep their relationship warm. Have you ever been headhunted? Maybe some headhunter has said to you about a particular role, and then they get to talk to you. You go through the interview process. You go first huddle, second huddle. By the third huddle, you don't make it. What happens? The headhunter takes your CV, takes your data, puts it in the database, and locks it in there. Someday, another opportunity opens up, and from nowhere, you get this email, boom, right into your inbox that says, Hi, ID. Um, this is so-so-and-so from so-so-and-so. Um, just wondering if you'd be interested. There's a role that has popped up, a managing director for so-so-and-so company and um, was for so-so-and-so industry. And then I'm wondering if you'd be interested in the opportunity or you have someone who'll be interested. Now, why and how did they track you? Because there has been a previous interaction. So make sure you capture and keep every contact, have a database. And you need to also make sure you don't get yourself stale because 
you must position yourself as an expert in your field or industry. I'm taking this now to a career path. I've talked about business. I'm staring into, just venturing into the career area because very many people bundle their career and destroy their careers because of lasciviousness. You just think you are the best thing that has happened since sliced bread. No. You get into the place and your attitude stinks in the organization. They see you as a prospect and then they bring you into the organization and the next thing you become a nuisance. And then what happens? The company now goes back to the headhunter and they say, why did you give us a guy like that? That guy is lousy. Now, what you've done automatically is to get your name into the, in the database of headhunters who will now say, so-so-and-so guy, and then the industry guys will start talking about you. Oh, do you know so-so-and-so? No, that guy, I won't touch him with a 10-foot pole. Then you now wonder the day you lose that role. Or maybe you decide to be called for interviews. You never go beyond the first stage. At the shortlist stage, and they see your name, they say, no, that guy, we don't want him. And the people in the organization, in the industry will say, no, 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 that guy, I don't want him. Be careful. You need to go through nurturing. And that's why you need a coach. So same way a business requires that whole process of hunting, farming, I mean, in terms of mindsets, there is an enabler on each part, which is the coach. Like a farmer, you prepare your prospects to become ready for harvesting. But as a coach, you prepare them to go to the next move. The farmer moves from one stage to the other and ultimately gets to get the gets to bring in the harvest. Friends, time can't be our friend when we are having beautiful conversations like this. But remember, it's about the business of enterprise. And I hope that you take this addition as a prod to let you push you to start looking at how enterprising you could be. And when the chips are down, you know you can always ask. And by the grace of God, we'll have answers for you. If you have any questions, please send email to contact at navigatewithid.com. And if you do want to follow me, my handle is at I-D-Y-E-N-A-N-G across the social media platforms. You can premise this for a conversation. I'll be more than happy to follow you on your path and support you. Thank you so much and God bless you. Goodbye. And that was Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds.